this week. That's between you and the Spirit to work in your life. I know what I'm going to fast from. I'm going to give you some ideas. But what we're going to look at today is how faith and fasting work hand in hand and work together. Now here's uh, my definition that I've got. You, you've seen in, that we're going to be looking at Matthew 17 verses 14 through 21 in a little bit. But I want to give you a definition of fasting. Biblical fasting is going without food and or water and other pleasures for a spiritual purpose. It's going without food and or water and other pleasures for a spiritual purpose. You know, it amazes me that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Not only Jesus did that, but Moses in the Old Testament is recorded fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And also Elijah. In fact, the, when the disciples went up in the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and all three of those had at some point in their life had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I can't even fathom that, but they did. So it was humanly possible for them to do it. But you do it, you don't just fast just for the sake of fasting. Biblical fasting is going without food and or water and other pleasures for a spiritual purpose. Now here's the reason. Without a spiritual purpose and a plan, it's not biblical fasting. It's just going hungry. It really is. You and most people, and, and I, I included in the first one because I really wasn't prepared and educated enough in the process when I did it the first time, all I could think about was food. Now, some of y'all are nodding your head, you know. And you would be amazed if you're going to fast, you better fast from the TV too because the TV shows all the food commercials and you don't want to be watching that, particularly when it gets toward mealtime. And some of you know what I'm talking about there. And, you know, and so when it comes time for that fast, and you'll be amazed how much your senses and your nose becomes more aware when you ride through town and you smell all the restaurants and everything else. But if your focus is on food, then guess what? I'm going to give you a plan and a purpose because every time when it comes that moment to where you would normally eat a meal, what are you going to have to do? That's your time where you focus on seeking the Lord. You spend time in his word. You pray. But you get your mind off of that food and get your mind and your heart on why am I doing this? I'm doing this so I can go deeper. I'm hungry for God. I hunger for you, God more than I do anything else. And Jesus said these words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, I remember one time I was in a prayer circle and we actually were with Bill and Mary Ann uh, and Bill and Mary Ann were a key couple that taught us about the mercy seat. And so they'd put a chair there and people that had problems that were going on, all the people would get around and lay hands on them and pray for them all at the same time. Which, by the way, you know, God can hear everybody's prayer at the same time. He really can. And so we, would, we did that. And I remember we were in, the, in a time where we started praying for people. And it was like 10 o'clock. And do you know that while we were doing that, the next thing I know when it ended, 
It was about one o'clock in the afternoon and we had been standing and praying for people. Three hours had passed. I had no desire to eat any food. I didn't even feel hungry. You know why? Because of the prayer and the power of God was working so much that it filled me up in my spirit. And I had no desiring for anything in my flesh, even food at that time. And I, I, I'm amazed. Have you ever been in spiritual conversations with people and you might have been talking for an hour and two hours and you felt like, man, I thought it was ten minutes. Have you ever had that happen? Well, these are the type of moments that I want you to begin to seek the Lord and spend time with Him. And for some of you, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but you've got to have a spiritual purpose for doing it. Here's my next point. God expects us to fast. God expects us to fast. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, there was a bunch of religious leaders that came to Jesus. And they said to him, you know, why aren't your disciples fasting? And because, hey, everybody else is supposed to fast. It was an Old Testament practice. It was something that they were doing. Even one was proud about it that he fasted twice a week. It wasn't like this old sinner over here. Well, the point is this. Jesus made this point. He said, they don't have to fast because the bridegroom is with them. Now, who's the bridegroom? It's none other than himself. The, the bridegroom is Jesus, and the bride is his church. And he was making reference to the disciples. There's no need for them to fast right now because I am with them. But the day is going to come when I will be leaving them, and then you will fast. In fact, he says in Matthew, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites who like to, to you know, make themselves look like they're fasting, and they don't shave or they don't wash, they don't clean up because they want to draw attention to themselves. And that's not the purpose of fasting. The purpose of fasting is bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to God. And so Jesus God wants us to fast, and in fact, here's the key. And this is something, as I was looking at it this week, I was like, man, this is good. You know, we will not have to fast after when Jesus comes for his church. Fasting will not be done anymore. Why? Because the bridegroom and the groom have come together for the marriage supper of the Lamb, and man, we're going we're gonna to have a feast then. And there will be no more need for fasting to take place. But why do we fast? It's because we're longing for God. We're longing to be with him. We're longing and we're excited. And we, man, the Bible says at the end, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Is that your heart's desire? Do you really love God and you want to be with him more than anybody else or anything else? You know, I know we get excited about our favorite teams or our favorite hobbies or our favorite sports or whatever. But listen, our number one most important passion, our number one thing in our life should be, God, I want more of you and I'm hungry for you. And, and here's the good news. You satisfy and the more I want, the more you satisfy and the more I long for you, the more you satisfy and you can never get away from that. God is more than enough. He really is. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. But I, I wrote this down for us this week as well. And that, that's why I think fasting and is tied into faith and is so important is, is in this statement. Fasting brings faith into focus. Now write that one down. I've got that in my Bible. I'm going to always remember this. 
Fasting brings faith into focus. Now, my son, Philip, he, I don't think, other than about a month or so, Philip was sick. And he, uh, every Wednesday night, this kid has watched Survivor since the first episode. He's never missed, all right? He loves this show. In fact, he wants to be on this show. But one of the things that I remember about this one dude that got on Survivor, and I was watching him, it was like, this guy, he's not going to have a chance. He was some old Asian fella, and he was real thin, few episodes back. And I'm like, this guy ain't got a chance, you know, uh, to make it on this show. But what this guy had was because he was old, he had glasses. And what he did was he took those glasses, and he took the sun, and guess what? What did he do? He made fire. And fire is everything when you're out on an island and you don't have fire, okay? And you need to stay warm. And he went from someone I thought didn't have a chance to all of a sudden he took off those bifocals. And so if you ever go to Survivor, keep your glasses with you, all right? But it was like a magnifying glass. And he was able to use the sun to start a fire. And everybody loved him. And everybody liked him because if you make fire, you big man on camp, all right? You big man, big chief. But he was. And you know, and I thought about this. It's amazing how light, when it's fine-tuned down into a laser, we're talking about light can actually cut through metal. Now that's focused in it. And so when I thought of this concept, fasting brings faith into focus like never before. And I'm going to tell you, there's some things you haven't been able to figure out in your life. And you've been, you've been running it through your brain trying to figure it out. But let me give you a key, a secret. It may require fasting. Because once fasting connects with your faith, you're going to be able to focus in and God will reveal some things to you that he may not ever would have revealed to you any other way than through fasting. Now, we're going to see how fasting, faith, and power are all connected in this text that we have for today in Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, we're dealing with a story that where <clears throat> Jesus is dealing, comes, uh, it says, when he came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus in verse 14. He's falling on his knees before him, and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Let's stop right there. This man had had a son who basically had epilepsy, and he, he went into seizures. And he'd had these for some time, and, and, and the one word might be in your Bible was moonstruck. Well, that word lunatic is actually in the New American Standard, but it, it comes from that word moonstruck, luna, to lunatic. But he, he was dealing with this issue for a long time. And, and the other Gospels report that the, this whatever it was, the spirit that was in him would cause him to just jump into the fire. It would cause him to throw him into the water to try to drown him. So can you, you can only imagine as a parent having to deal with this 
and seeing this as your child and the struggle that this man had. And this man was very uh, open. He, he fell on his knees in front of a crowd. He was not ashamed. I mean, he just unapologetically just fell down on his knees and said, Lord, sir, have mercy on my son. Have mercy on my son. Let's see what happens here. He brought him to the disciples. And see, the disciples had been given the power to go out and to heal, to cast out demons. They had been given that. They'd been commissioned by Jesus to do this. But apparently here, something was going on. And that was, they couldn't, they couldn't handle this case. They couldn't cure him. They couldn't deal with this problem. In verse 17, let's pick up. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. And the demon came out of that young boy, and the boy was cured at once. Isn't that cool? Now, I'm going to tell you, the demons know who Jesus is. Scriptures deal with many times of where one demon they tried to cast out says, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who in the world are you? And, you know, I've never been in a, in a demon exercising circle or service. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those or circles, but it's real. How many of y'all believe there's demons in the world? All right. The ones that didn't raise your hand, uh, you better start believing. They're real. Because how many of you believe there's angels in the world? Yep. You know what? Demons are just fallen angels on the wrong side. They are fallen angels on the wrong side because they went after the rebellion with Satan. And so that's what we're dealing with. This is a spiritual issue going on here. And so this demon was doing these things. And Jesus called them out and said, you guys are unbelieving. He rebuked them. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus rebukes and goes to cast out, that demon doesn't have a chance because they know who he is. And he has all power as the Son of God. And so Jesus handled the problem. Well, apparently it says here in verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, they were, they were, didn't want to bring this up in front of everybody. Why could we not do it? Why could we not drive it out? What was the problem with us? Didn't you give us the promise? Didn't you give us the power to do this? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus responded here with very, something very enlightening to us. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. Wow. So this faith is very important in the light of this, what we're talking about today. And we're going to connect this to fasting here in just a moment. He said, it's because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Now, I don't, most of you might know in this room that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds that is connected with a garden. You know, I love mustard. You know, I put mustard last night on a sandwich. My kids think it's gross that I eat ketchup and mustard sandwiches. They do. They're like, ooh, 
People down in the south, we eat pineapple sandwiches. My daddy would eat a mayonnaise sandwich, just bread and mayonnaise. And you might think, ooh. But mustard was a very tiny seed. But here's the cool thing about a mustard seed. Once planted and growing, it would become the largest plant. It outgrow the tomatoes that grew the ketchup and all that. It would outgrow any other plant where the birds of the air could come and nest in it. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is just like that mustard seed, which might be the smallest, the littlest, it's going to grow into something that's bigger than all the other plants. He's, he's going, that's what I want your faith to do. Your faith has got to grow in me. You've got to learn to trust me. You've got to learn to rely on me, just like a mustard seed, which grows out of the smallest into the greatest of plants. You've got to have faith in me. Man, that's a powerful thing. Even to the extent that if you say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, it will move because nothing will be impossible to you. Wow. That's strong. Now, he's, he's making a reference here in mountains because how many of you are facing an issue in your life that you go, it's like moving a mountain? How many of you faced something in this past year that was a mountain-moving experience or that mountain hadn't been moved yet? How many of you are facing one that's coming up that's going, oh, this is a mountain ahead of me? Well, it's gonna, a lot's going to rely on our faith in God as we go through this process. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to grow faith in us. That's what he's trying to do. He's wanting, just like a mustard seed that grows up into that plant that, where the birds come and put their nest in, into, he's wanting our faith to grow up in such a way. You know, I, I know this for a fact. It's through the difficult and challenging times in my life that God's testing my faith the greatest. It really has. And every time, y'all, it is to grow us up in the faith. And he goes on to say here something very important. He says, now some translations don't include this, but I've, I know there are others that do. It says this, but this kind does not go out except by what? By prayer and fasting. So I want to ask you this question this morning. There may be some things that, that are going on in our life that might be like moving a mountain. It seems impossible to us. But if we can put our faith in God and we can fast and seek God, then we've got to believe God and trust God like never, ever before. You know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an example this morning. This morning, I know I woke up kind of early, excited about today. But I got this text that came in uh, from the pastor of Fusion Church down in Madison, Georgia. A guy named Matt Alexander is a pastor along with another fellow. They co-pastor down there. And, and it was just, Matt and I have known each other for several years. But nine months ago, I was in a group. And I was reading out of Mark Batterson's, one of Mark Batterson's books, which I'll plug, by the way, if you don't have Draw the Circle for the 40-Day Prayer Challenge, you, we got a few copies right out here for you to get. But I, whenever I go through this, I definitely do this and go through this book. But I had come across a, f a few sayings that Mark had said, 
And God spoke to my spirit to say one of these to, to Matt, but he, he sent this this morning. He said, hey, bro, thank you for challenging me to pray for the unthinkable. God has truly done it. In nine months, Fusion's church mortgage went from 252000 down to $60,120. Mike, I will never forget the day you said, I'm praying for the unthinkable. I'll never be the same. Love you, bro. Matt. And why was I praying for that? And praying and challenging my brother. Praying for the unthinkable. Because it goes back to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. The unthinkable. You know what God's wanting to do? And y'all have heard me preach on it. God's wanting to do something that goes beyond man's ability to even take credit for it. You, amen? Because man likes to take credit for a lot of things. But God's wanting to do things that can only be described as that was God. And y'all, I've, I've always wanted to be a part of church to where all you could say was, man, that was a God thing. And you know, as I've shared and I've talked with people, and I, didn't, I haven't even let Matt know what God's done, the unthinkable, even in the last several months here at Gratis. That we went from Easter having about Fifty to sixty thousand dollars to buy November. We had a hundred and eighty thousand dollars in the bank to purchase fourteen and a half acres of land. That's the unthinkable, and that's what God did. We we did our part, but guess what? God did His part. And I'm going to tell you something. God always does His part. It's a matter of fact. Are we going to do our part? But that's what we're dealing with here. And I'm looking, and as I'm going through this and asking God, I know I have faith, but increase my faith. How's my faith going to get better? And it's, he comes back to, well, Mike, fasting brings your faith into focus like never before. And so I challenge you this week to begin a time of fasting. Now, some of you might be going, I'm not ready for this. Uh, I don't want to do this. If that's you, that's okay. But I want to challenge you, you can fast one meal this week. Some of you can, one meal. Trust me, I know I can. I need to fast many meals this week. But the bottom line is this. We don't fast unto man, we fast unto God. And so is having a hunger for him. But my challenge to you, and I'm going to, Put this out here because I wrote down, what are some of the breakthroughs or strongholds for our church that I'm praying for for this coming year? And I've shared this with many of you, but we are under contract for the land, but the land will not be ours until we go through Walton Planning and Development and we go through the Walton County Commissioners and get all the rezonings done. So that's going to take us into April or possibly May. And what I want to do is ask and challenge some of you in this room, if you would, to join me in fasting every Wednesday between now and then and fast through the meal. Every Wednesday at noon, say, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to pray about the process for the land. That it would go smoothly and God, it would bring glory to you in this process. Okay, that's the specific thing 
to pray for because we're not just fasting to go without food. We've got to have a spiritual purpose behind this. You know why? It's like I was sharing with someone outside here just a minute ago. I am so glad to be a part of something that's going to outlive me. Aren't you? Aren't you glad to be a part of something that's going to outlive you? That's awesome to think about it. I'm part of something that's going to outlive me and go from generation to generation. And you're a part of that. And so I, I challenge you and I encourage you to do that. Also, I wanna, uh, I'm going to be praying for future buildings, that, for God to provide. I'm excited about the fact that the lady contacted me and said, we're going to match your funds on up to that $12,000 mark. So we've got about $5,000 to go, and we're, when we get that, we're going to get another additional $12,000. So we're looking at about $70,000 to work with to start toward our building. And that's a pretty good start to a building campaign, amen? And so with that being in mind, I'm praying for God to continue to provide the resources and the people along this process as we move forward. So that's, that's a thing that I'm praying for. But more importantly, I'm praying for people. I know that... The, church is not property. The church isn't a place. The church is people. And so I'm praying for God to transform people that are in our area. I'm praying as I met with a develop, um, our guy that's doing our workforce this week. He gave me a great insight. He said, why don't you go over to the neighborhood across from this property and why don't you introduce yourself to every one of them? I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, why I want to do that? Because I want to meet my neighbors, all right? I want to meet my neighbors. And I was like, why haven't I even thought of that, of doing that? And so we're going to do it. And we're going to love on people. And, you know, I don't mind if people are not our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And even if those people were to show up out of that neighborhood and go, we don't want your church here, I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to be there for them. I'm still going to pray for them. Nothing's going to affect that. We have to love people and to pray for people. And I'm continuing to pray. You know, I know, I know what goes on inside of these walls here on this campus, how special it is on a Sunday. But I want the world to know how special that is. And so we've got to continue to share the good news of what God's doing through his church. And so as we tell people about the love of God and share that with them, it's going to be a powerful thing. Now, how many of you have been praying for a loved one and to, for them to come to know Jesus and they've not made that decision yet? You've been praying for them. I want to continue to ask you to pray, but fast and pray for them as well. Do you know there was a guy by the name of George Mueller? George Mueller wrote down the name of five men that he was praying for them to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It took, it took five years before the first one came and accepted Christ. Five years later, which was ten years after he started praying, two more came to know Jesus. So three of the five after ten years had come to know Christ. It took for the fourth one, it took him into the 25th year of praying for him. 
And then finally, George Mueller died. And someone made the comment, see, the last one, he didn't get him. Well, the last one, after two months after George Mueller died, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And it had been 52 years that Mueller had prayed for him. Wow. Don't give up. <laughs> Your prayers will outlive you. They will. And don't give up praying for those that we love. I know that when I shared that story, my wonderful wife who's working in the, she has her turn in the, with the children in the back. She said, I prayed like that for my daddy. And finally her daddy accepted Jesus. And it was later on in his life, but you never, ever give up. But sometimes it takes the faith and it takes prayer and it takes fasting to go along with that. Why? I come back to this main point. Because fasting brings faith into focus like never before. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word.